Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Ronnie will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 23. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We have been in Samuel, and we have one more chapter, and uh, chapter 24, and then we'll be done with First and Second Samuel. I sure hope you guys learned something. I, I did. You know, actually, I got to tell you this. I taught Second Samuel back in 99, 1999, so that's, you know, 18 years ago, and I looked over my notes from 18 years ago. I remember that we didn't have a, an office for the church. We were, uh, 18 years ago, we probably, yeah, we were just kind of coming out of the trailer. We didn't have an office. I didn't have an office. And so there was a couple in our church that gave me the key to their home and allowed me to go into their home during the day while they were at work and use their computer. They had one of them box <laughs> IBM computers with the, the disk drive, the, the square one, you pop it in and you save your stuff. And uh, Microsoft. Floppy disk. Floppy disk. And uh, I remember that. Like, man, I, those people were such a blessing. Who does that? I mean, gives the pastor the key. Of course, the pastor shouldn't be taking nothing. But, okay, I, you know, who does that? And they were like, have anything you want in the refrigerator? And it was the sweetest people. And I wrote. A lot of my sermons there. So I'm looking at Second Samuel, and I'm thinking, what in the world are you saying? Because I'm looking at it like yesterday, and I'm thinking, that was the worst Bible study. I was the worst Bible teacher back then. I'm like, how did people ever get anything out of it? And, you know, I think when you're all growing together like that, then, you know, you're just sharing what the Lord gives you and kind of, you know, dealing with as you're growing. As a pa- Pastors have to grow, too. And as you're growing as a pastor, you're learning, the people are learning, God's growing you, God's growing the people. And then you look back over your notes 18 years ago and you think, what in the world was I saying? I don't even know what I was saying. So I hope that you uh, are growing. I certainly have grown tremendously um, over the last couple of two years as a pastor. I've grown tremendously. I am certainly not the pastor I was three years ago. And that has everything to do with the Word of God. And because God's Word teaches us and we grow as a result of knowing the Word of God and studying the Word of God, and everybody should be growing. We shouldn't be coming to this place. Are y'all listening? We shouldn't be coming here just to hear the Word and walk out the door unaffected and unchanged. Not good. God's Word should be challenging us, and we should be doers of the Word, not just talkers of the Word. That's another sermon. Okay. I told you 
uh, 2 Samuel 21 through 24 is not in chronological order. These chapters are looking back over the early years of David as David um, takes the pen and he begins to write these chapters. And there, David's kind of wrapping things up in chapters 21 through 24. He comes to the end of his life. And if you were with us the last time, we looked at 2 Samuel 22 and we looked at Psalm 18. 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18 go together. They're virtually identical with a few variations. We come to chapter 23 tonight in the first seven verses. If you have your pen, the first seven verses, it's a really, really super easy outline tonight. The first seven verses, David writes about his walk with the Lord. And then in verses eight through 39, the last verse, David decides to honor the men who stood with him throughout the years. David honors 37 mighty men and he names them all. I know there's 37 because I counted them, all of them. And not only that, but the last verse of chapter 23 tells us it was 37. (laughs) So I am quite the Bible student, all right? I've titled this sermon, David's Mighty Men. Okay, let's get to it. Second Samuel chapter 23, saints, if you're looking at verse one, say amen. Now, these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke to me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. Although David says, my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant with you too ordered in all things and secure for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of Belial, the rebel shall all be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. These are the last words. Verse one of David. I love reading last words. And if you've been around here at Calvary Chapel, you know, I tend to find them. Um, the last words of, of people, uh, the last words of people are very, very telling about them and about how they live their life. Listen to some of these famous last words, Joan Crawford. I don't know, young folks, y'all know who Joan Crawford is? Anybody? Young people, y'all know? Who knows who Joan Crawford is? Okay. That's virtually... Most of y'all. Okay. Joan Crawford said to her two nurses who were softly praying for her because they noticed she was dying. She said, don't you dare ask God to help me. Last words. James French, 1966, a convicted murderer right before his execution in an electric chair, looked at the reporters and said, how's this for tomorrow's headline? French fries. Y'all don't even get it. You don't get it. 
Here's one like it. George Apple, 1928, a convicted murderer, was executed in the electric electric chair. And he said, well, gentlemen, George Apple, he said, well, gentlemen, you're about to see a baked apple. (laughs) Same, same. Edgar Allan Poe died in 1849 at the age of 40, lying in the street. He said, Lord, help my poor soul. Winston Churchill, the man whose vision and battle cry was to never give up, said on his deathbed, I am convinced that there is no hope. John Knox uttered these piercing words and then died. Live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. Joseph Edward, Edward, Everett, great saint, was dying, and he said, glory, 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 and then he continued to shout, glory, 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 and he continued to say, glory, 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 for more than 25 minutes until he was whisked away by the angels to the gates of heaven. Judas Iscariot said, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood, and he went out and he hanged himself. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, said, Of his stoning, he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And of course, you know, Jesus hanging on the cross, he said, to tell us die, it is finished. And he breathed his last breath. Last words are very telling. Here we have David's last words. Now, some scholars say and believe that these were David's last words of his life. And some say These aren't David's last words, but the last inspired thing that David wrote or said. Uh, I told you that these chapters aren't in chronological order, so it's very possible that these aren't the last words of David, but we're not sure. But what we do know is that David is old and certainly at the end of his life, and he picks up the lyre, L-I-L-Y-R-E, the lyre or the guitar, with wrinkled hands, and he begins to sing, Psalms. He begins to sing a song and write this chapter. And look at verse one, if you will, in your Bibles. It's a thumbnail capsule, if you will, of David's life. Notice he says, thus says David, the son of Jesse. Jesse was a humble farmer. David had humble beginnings. The man, notice David says, thus says the man raised up on high. David allowed God to raise him up. And the anointed of the God of Jacob, David was anointed by God. David didn't anoint himself. David didn't call himself. David was anointed by God. He was enabled by God. The sweet psalmist of Israel. David had a beautiful, beautiful gift of worship. You know, I was thinking of this today. Here we are 5,000-ish years later, and we're still singing and worshiping to psalms, songs of the sweet psalmist of Israel. Psalms are still relevant for today. For thousands of years, people wanting to express joy sing these songs. For thousands of years, people with broken hearts sing David's songs. For thousands of years, people who are broken and repentant sing David's songs. For thousands of years, people who have lost their way and they're seeking God sing David's songs. For thousands of years, these songs and psalms have touched the world. And think about this. David is known for many things. David is known for many things. But the psalms and worship is the thing that is synonymous with David's name. Think about that. And when you hear the name David, that's Hebrew, David, 
you think of David. And think about this. David is the first David in the Bible. David was not a common name in ancient Israel. So when you hear David, like Joseph, fairly common name, David. Now, so when you hear David, think about it, saints. When you hear David, you think of the Psalms. It's the first thing that comes to mind. Shepherd, yeah. King, yeah. But the Psalms, always. Because David had a beautiful, beautiful heart of worship. Look at verses one through three. Thus says David, thus says the man. This is a title that's used, thus says, is a title used over 300 times of God in the Bible. Thus says the Lord. This is also used a total of five other times in the Bible of a few other people. We find it in the book of Numbers as it relates to Balaam. We find it in uh, once used of Lemuel in Proverbs chapter 30. We're talking about this phrase, thus says, thus says. And here we have it two times. And notice in your Bibles, you got to see this, saints. Look at verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, and his word was on my tongue. Wouldn't it be great? If God's word was always on our tongue, think about the things we get done for the kingdom. If God's word was on your tongue, wouldn't it be awesome if the scriptures, the inspired word of God were on our tongues? I think of second Timothy three sixteen. all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness sake. Got your pen? Notice doctrine tells us what's right, what is right. Reproof tells us what is not right. Correction tells us how to get right. And instruction tells us how to stay right. So you want God's word on your tongue so you know what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. Am I right about it? Look at verse 3. David said, in verse 3, David said, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just. Wouldn't this be a great verse to have written around the Capitol building? A great verse to have written around every Capitol building in the world. David looked back over his life and his reign, and he saw the need for rulers to exercise justice. Notice, ruling in the fear of God. This is the key to justice. If justice is going to work, leaders must rule in the fear of God, knowing that God will require an answer from them. And then notice in verses 4 and 5, the sweet psalmist David waxed poetic. Verse 4, he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises a morning without clouds. This is beautiful. Like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. Although, verse five, my house is not so, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure or sure. For this is my salvation and all my desire. David said, my house hasn't been upright. I wasn't just the leader that God called me to be. And God bless me anyway, David says. Why? Because he made a covenant with me. 
David looked at just rulers and David knew that they fall short. And he fell short. Yet David also knew that God was a covenant keeping God. And the blessings of God were not based on your perfection, but on God's covenant. Did you hear that? The blessings of God are not based on your perfection, but God's covenant. God is a covenant keeping God, right? And he blesses us because of his covenant, his covenant of grace. Now, as you look over David's life and reign, it was a disaster. You know that, don't you? David's life, one scandal after another. David's family was the first dysfunctional family. Absalom, you know, his son tried to take the kingdom from his dad. David had civil wars, three famines. David's reign uh, was plagued with problems. And in contrast, think about this. Solomon had a pretty good reign. Solomon, his reign seemed perfect. Solomon had a time of peace and prosperity and prominence and glory. And for David, think about this. Watch this. For David, in David's reign, God has nothing but praise for David. As I just said, David's, stay with me, David's reign was full of problems. First dysfunctional family, famines and wars and going into pagan cities and acting like crazy people. David was a mess. And yet the scriptures, God has nothing but praise for David. Psalm 89, 20, Isaiah 55, 3 through 4, Romans 1, 3, Revelation 22, 16. Nothing but good things to say about David. In contrast, Solomon is barely mentioned in the rest of the Bible. And the difference between David, the difference between David and Solomon is the difference in relationship to God. David's desire and passion was to be with God. Solomon's was personal improvement. David endured till the end, loving and serving God right up to his last days. First Kings 11, we learned that Solomon turned his heart or women turned his heart away from God in his latter days. But yet David, in his problematic life, God praises his life and says good things about his life. Why? Because God's promises and God's blessings are not based on our perfection, but on the fact that he is a covenant-keeping God. David is a man after God's own heart. What? He killed somebody, had somebody killed, took a man's wife. Again, he had all kinds of problems. Family's a mess. Son raping his daughter, and he didn't do anything about it. What kind of dad are you? But God is a covenant-keeping God. And God blesses us. We don't know why. God just does what God does because God is God. Right? God is God. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? God is God, and you ain't him. Thank you, Lord. That is right. That is right. Thank you, Lord. God is God, and, and you're not him. We serve a covenant-keeping God, an awesome God. Now look at verse 6 and 7, because we've got to move forward. Look at verse 6 and 7. This is all my salvation and all my desire. David said this because the covenant was based on God's faithfulness. David knew that his own obedience was not enough for salvation because of sin. David's light dimmed towards the end of his life, and the light wasn't completely burned out. It shined until the end. Verse 6 tells us the sons of rebellion shall be shall all be as thorns thrust away. The covenant was based on God's faithfulness, and David knew that obedience still mattered. 
God would still oppose the sons of rebellion and they would end in ruin. Now, saints, let's move forward. In verses 8 through 39, if you're taking notes, Bible students, we have a list of David's mighty men. And as I mentioned to you, there is a total in our text, we have 36, 37. That's what I've been saying 36 all day because I counted them all twice and I missed one twice. And I was 36. Actually, look at verse 39 so y'all can keep me accountable. How many? 37. 37 names in all. Now, here's what you need to know before we read, because then you'll be confused if you don't. There are two groups of three listed up front. There are two groups of three listed up front. And then you have a long list of 31, right? Two groups of three is how many? Six. This ain't hard math, y'all. Two groups of three is how many? Uh Uh-huh. And plus 31 is what? 37. Now, the first group of three were the dominant men, the dominant men. And the... Second group of three, we actually have only two names. It's in verses 18 through 23. Stay with me. It'll make sense when we read it, okay? The second group of three, we only have two names, but we're told that they're three mighty men, okay? So three, we have the three names, three men, but only two names are given, nonetheless, three And then in verses 24 through 39, we have the list of 31. 16 of the 31 are from David's territory. We also find the Amorites and the Hittites and the Gibbites Gibbonites and the Gittites from Gath. All of these men saw David's loyal loyalty to God, and they came alongside of David. Let's read a bit, and then we'll come back, all right? Look at verse uh, 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Now, I'm going to botch every one of these names tonight, okay? I am. But I, I, I'm, I'm going to make a complete fool of myself tonight, and I'll be a fool for Jesus, okay? Because I'm going to do it tonight. And don't even laugh because I don't think you could do any better, okay? So we are family and we just going to deal with it, all right? It's in the word. We're going to deal with it. Somebody say amen. We're going to deal with this. Look at this. Look at this. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Bashhebeth, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino, the Esnite, because he had killed how many men? 800 men at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, or Dudu. I'm not kidding you. Now, don't laugh, because in Israel, okay, true. In Israel, Dudu, Dodo, is a term, you say the word, is a term of endearment. Actually, they still kind of use, they go, oh, you Dodo, or you Dudu, or something like that. And it's kind of a term of endearment. Here, if you say that, I might have to lay hands on you. I don't know. 
Okay. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who gathered there for battle and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and he attacked the Philistines until his hand, underline this, was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammai or Shammah, the son of Agi, the Harite, the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a, pierce, uh, a piece of ground full of lentils. And so the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself, he, Shammah, stationed himself in the middle of the field. He defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.